Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. We're going to move on now. Jonathan DeBurka Butler is here as ever on a Tuesday to chat through some stories from around the world, which perhaps haven't been making the headlines here in Ireland. Good afternoon, Jonathan. How, How are Steph? you? How are you doing? Not too bad at Good. all. We're going to start with India. Tell me what's been going on with these Italian soldiers in India. Yeah, this is a long running case. Uh, it's been going on since uh, February of 2012. I think it was 15th of February 2012, if memory serves correctly, when these two Italians, Salvatore Girone and Massimiliano Latore, they are two um, Marines. They're part of the an elite force of Marines that were on board uh, an oil tanker, right? I think there was six soldiers altogether. They were accompanying this oil tanker that was on its way from Egypt to somewhere else, probably close to India. And um, they were travelling in waters that were known for piracy right. at the time, right? So that's what they were doing on board, making sure the tanker was getting to where it needed to go uh, without any problems. And earlier that day there had been reports in the area uh, of, of suspicious behaviour on at least one other tanker I think it was a Greek boat that had been attacked right so these guys were nervous they were on the lookout for suspicious behaviour and we there's there's different accounts we don't really need to go into the masses okay. of detail of, of, of what happened yes <laughs> but uh, basically the long and the short of it is that these two guys ended up shooting two fishermen uh, who were obviously on a fishing boat uh, just off the coast of Kerala okay? but who were not pirates just normal who, fishermen who were not pirates normal fishermen right and and what's interesting about this is that the the, the Italians have always maintained that they told the boat to stop because they wanted to board it and see what the story was with it. The boat didn't stop and the Italian soldiers opened fire. Right? For the for their part, the, the, the Indian fisherman basically says there was no notification that was ever given and these guys just lost it and started opening fire. Okay, Because of the, the, the fear, the fear though, that they the, had. The, the was going on in, so in the area at the time. And so how belligerent have the Italians been of like, this is not our fault? Has it taken this long for them to concede or what's happening now? Yeah, well, that's that's the interesting thing, right? So 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 what happened immediately after the, the, the event was that the Italian soldiers were taken to uh, into custody Custody, right, and they probably shouldn't have been because it was uh, they probably were um, could have got diplomatic immunity to some in, in some respect, right? Okay. So the Italians so they got then taken to Indian, in, like, taken into to custody India. in India, and they were there for two years, one of them and four years for the other. Eventually, they got back home, but in order to sort out the problem, they went to the Hague, right? The Italians and the Indians went to the Hague, and they got a court of arbitration to intervene, and the court there basically said that the Marines were entitled to immunity. Okay, so the the Indians have said, okay, well, we'll accept this. We'll drop the charges, but the the court in the Hague also said that the process should continue in Italy. But they were very vague about what that process was. But they're and saying when, these yeah. lads are innocent, not innocent, but they have immunity. They have immunity. Yeah. Uh, but but there's something ongoing. Yeah. That they have to take. So it up. so so the court of arbitration and the Indian Supreme Court, all right, who said we won't carry the case forward in India, but we want you, the Italians, to carry the case on. So they're all basically saying, okay, look, we'll wash our hands of this, but we have to make these statements and it will eventually go away. There's also a compensation package there, right? So the court in The Hague basically said, we want you to give them about one million euros. So it's going to be split between the two families of the fishermen and the man who owned the boat. And I suppose somewhere in the background there, they're hoping that this means the whole thing will go away, even though according to the Court of Arbitration and the Indian Supreme Court, it, it should be, be carried on by the Italians. Do you think they'll just kick but it, it into touch like yeah, Grant? Yeah.
So what's going on in France then? <laughs> France is a very interesting story about a, a woman called Valerie Baco. Um, she's had a, an awful life really uh, since the age of 12. Some sensitive details here to be honest with you. Um, she's 40 now but uh, she was abused from the age of 12 by a man called Daniel Paulet, okay, um, who was first her stepfather and then became her husband, right? So how is that allowed? Sorry, yeah, how well, is that allowed? Well, look, that's that's what happened, and it's it's a really bizarre situation because I mean it should have been, you know, in the 1990s he was sent to prison for a couple of years, right, two and a half years for assaulting her, okay, when she was about six, 15 or 16. And then he got out and went back to he her. He got out. He got out, went back to her. Well, for, I wouldn't say back to her because that. Well, that, that sort of suggests some sort of back four would be a better way of putting yeah. it I would say got her pregnant at the age of 17 and con- they continued in this kind of abusive relationship where he forced her to prostitute herself they ended up having four children and she kind of lived in fear for all these years and and, and continued with the abuse until one day he turned around and said he was going to start abusing their daughter right. and that's when she took the gun that he owned and shot him uh, that was in March 2016. She was arrested, right? She was yeah. held in custody while her trial was going on for a year. But the other day, the court basically decided that uh, they are going to sentence her for four years in prison. Okay. Right? So the crime is still hers and she still owns it. But, but they're suspending They're them. suspending the three years and she's, they're, you know, they're including the one year that she's already served. So basically just to say, like, you did this, but we have an awful lot of grace for what you had to go through so you yeah. don't have to spend any more time in prison. Basically. But she says the fight isn't over because she and her lawyers, and I think they have a point here, want to clear her name. You know, they want the charges dropped and they're basically saying that they want to look at something um, which which was called, uh, which they're calling battered wife syndrome. Okay, right, okay, this is something that's included in law in Canada. And of course, you know, they've got the French connection there and all yeah. that kind of thing. So they might, they might focus on that uh, sort of um, uh, where you can cultural connection. Yeah. So where you can justifiably shoot your husband in self-defence. Yeah. Which... Fair enough. I mean, to be fair honest enough. with you, yeah. I'm trying not to. I'm crap, trying to right? hold my tongue, but yeah. like, no, I'll say there's definitely you. a part of me that's like, <laughs> fair play to her. Yeah. Now, the, the, his his lawyer basically said that, you know, he was pushing for five years. In fact, and and he said, look, he he understands that she should be let out, that she's not a threat to anybody else, and that kind of thing, but that the law is the law, and people can't be taking the law into their own hands. Surely he doesn't have a leg to stand on. His lawyer. They can't be taking the law into his own hand. You you were her stepfather yeah. and then her husband. Yeah. I mean, we don't need to go into the details, but I think that woman should be, I don't know, given some sort of an award. Um, but you can text us in if you disagree with me. It's uh, 53106 and it'll cost you 30 cent. Let's move on to Armenia, Kardashian territory. Yes, is it? Is that where yeah, they're that's from? Where they're from. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, now uh, you yeah, learn yeah, something yeah. new Brilliant. every day. Fantastic. Okay, well, I wonder, do they know much about Armenian cognac? Uh, because it's going to have to change the name if they want to export it into the European Union. So they've done a deal with the European Union, right? Right. Where the European Union are going to pay Armenia. We don't know where this money is going, by the way. That's <laughs> uh, one thing that we should start off by saying. Three million euros, right? So Armenia make cognac, right? Or they, a type of brandy? They make Armenian brandy, but they inside in the country they call it cognac Cognac. themselves and they say that actually it's because of a French man who went there in the 18th century and opened a distillery And is this like high quality do you know anything about Armenian cognac? High quality apparently yeah I mean I I don't know anything about cognac full stop to be honest with you I'm not a con. are you a cognac connoisseur? I'm not a drinker I know the Kardashians though Well there you you are Yeah well I'm not a cognac connoisseur but apparently Winston Churchill loved the stuff 
So he's always Winston Churchill is just this is totally off topic but my only reference for Winston Churchill is that he's usually the answer on table quizzes when it's about like what British whatever it's, I always yeah. put out Winston Churchill I don't know much about yeah, him yeah. except it, that he's ex- the answer ex- to everything except for the genocidal stuff they only leave the good stuff in yeah. but anyway that's another discussion for another day so anyway. they're going to have to change the name of this because so, cognac is only from France yeah exactly so it's like Parma, Parmigiano from Italy and all the rest or of champagne it. yeah exactly and all of those kind of things alright and uh, why are they and, paying and them though the, why aren't the they just blah, actually I think is, is included in that or is that just an Irish thing but anyway Why are they paying them to do this and not just saying change the name lads uh, Because I don't think they necessarily can force them as such I, I, I think it's part of a it's a sweetener I suppose right, okay. it's, it's a deal to basically make sure that they import into the European Union um, and they don't import much of it Right. Uh, I think it's only something like three so and a half percent. So this is just a bit of candorel yeah, to like make yeah, the whole thing go yeah, a bit absolutely. easier. Absolutely, and uh, but they'll, they'll be able to export it with the same name in non-Latin letters What's into that other mean? countries. So Russia, for example, okay. where the, it sells in its in in, in its. They can roads, call it cognac yeah. there. They can call it cognac there, but, but it will in be in Cyrillic. Cyrillic. Yeah. Alphabet. Okay. So cool. here. Okay, we're moving on to Colombia. They make a great coffee. They do. Uh, they wouldn't be known for their cognac as far as I know, but um, they do make a great coffee. Um, but things are a little bit fraught there at the moment and they have been for a while, to be honest with you. OK, so the, I suppose the headline here is that the president um, who's up for re-election next year, Ivan Duque, his helicopter was shot down, right? This was on the border with Venezuela oh, wow. just last week, right? So there was the... Foreign Minister, or sorry, the Defence Minister and the Interior Minister were on board with him and a few other people, but nobody was injured. But there was a video posted. Sorry, there, yeah. it was shot, uh, their helicopter was shot and no one was, it was injured. Shot Did it fall? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it fell all right, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. no one was injured. Yeah, or, or made an emergency landing. Uh, and nobody was injured, uh, remarkably. And uh, this was on the border, as I said, with, with Venezuela. Now, there's various different outfits operating on that border, right? So right, okay. the, the immediate focus of attention was on... Um, um, you know, um, members, former members of FARC who haven't tried up to the pe- who haven't signed up to the peace deal, right? Okay. Also, the National Liberation Army, another sort of left wing group that never signed up to the peace deal, as far as I know. So, right. uh, so far they're kind of in the mix. But Dukeway has come out and he said, "Yeah, we got a bit of a fright, but we're we're going to fight against drug barons, drug lords, uh, terrorists, whoever it is that's uh, up against it." To be honest with you, nobody knows who it was who, who pulled the gun on this. And is this a guy? Like, is this president someone who a lot of people are looking like looking to shoot? Or yes, I would say there are potentially millions of people that are looking to shoot him. He's is he not, a bad president? He, he's, he's not in. A, I put it to you this way: he's not in a good place at the moment, right? right okay. He 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 tried to bring in some tax hikes there about two months ago, right? And he said that it was around. Uh, dealing with the coronavirus, okay, pandemic yeah. tax, if you want to call it that. But the problem with it was that the tax landed mainly on lower middle class and poor people, right, who went out onto the streets and that kind of got violent. And it has to be said that while some of the protests were peef- peaceful in the main thoroughfares, they did get a little bit violent out in the suburbs. And y- you could argue the toss about who was who was right and who was wrong, but the response of the police in the f- the immediate response of the police has been dreadful, right? So right. there's been tear gas, there's been uh, rubber bullets, there's been live ammunition, there's hundreds of people dead, there's disappearances that are starting to happen oh now God. again, it's so just... people aren't being accounted for. So it's in total chaos there at the moment. Um, so it's kind of not surprising that people are trying to shoot him out of a helicopter. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, it's not surprising at all. He has a lot of enemies and uh, it's not good from his point of view 
because as I said, there are presidential elections coming up next year, so we'll have to see. Nothing like an election to settle everyone down. No, 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 indeed. I mean, it's it's interesting as well, Steph, because because he's he's sort of saying that the strike organisers are connected with, you know, um, the governments of Venezuela and Cuba. So he's trying to make it out to be a kind of a left wing conspiracy, rather than Um, just unsatisfied, unhappy citizens who are being taxed too much. Exactly. So let's move on to Egypt. The former MP has been arrested for trafficking antiquities. Trafficking antiquities, yeah. What kind of antiquities? Well, like stuff that you dig out of the ground. Uh, There's a lot of money in that stuff. Uh, So much so that you can be sent to prison for life. uh, Oh, like proper Egyptian, like... Proper proper Egyptian stuff. Pharaohs. Pharaohs and all sorts of different things. Yeah, so this is a man by the name of Allah Hassanin, okay? And he was a member of uh, Mubarak's National Democratic Party, right? So he used to be a fairly big wig. But obviously since Mubarak gone he's, he's kind of gone down the pecking order bit of a flamboyant character likes to boast that he's you know performed black magic and various different things like that so nice. bit of a head the ball but he's, he got into smuggling and he was arrested as uh, one member of a gang of about 18 um, who arrested for this smuggling and as I said uh, could face uh, life in prison now he might have some sway in that he might have some connection still in the police and up, or up in high places to get him off uh, but as it stands he's in quite a bit of trouble this might be an unanswerable question, but are mm. these like artifacts that he, they dug up themselves or that like are in a museum, but he's stolen like old artifacts that have already been discovered or did they discover them? Yeah, I, as far as I know, it's the, the charges that are leveled against it is illegal excavation and smuggling. Oh, wow. Of, okay. There's about 200 items, right? Some of them are Greek, Roman and Egyptian, right? Because there'd be all sorts of stuff down around there. So that would suggest that you know, maybe some of them were excavated and uh, and others were just taken from private collections or stolen or whatever. But the, the main point is that they're not supposed to leave the country. Yeah. And I just wonder who the market, like where the market is for that. Like, well, there's private collectors all over the place. But do they, in France they buy like, like oh, they stolen would, things? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same with stolen art. Massive market. So that fascinates me, stolen mm. art, because you can't display it. So you just have to like what, like own it, keep it in your basement, go down and look at it on your yeah. own. Yeah, well, it depends on who you're displaying it to. Uh, do you know what I mean? Um, but also maybe who knows? I just yeah. think art is a funny one to be. Stealing. It is. A, it is a funny one, all right. But that's what they've done. Yeah, and they're very precious about their artifacts in Egypt. They make a big deal out of it. It's a big part of. Um, who uh, they fairness, are and their sales pitch around tourism and that They kind have of thing. some good ones. They do, all right. <laughs> I've only seen the cartoon, but tell us what's going on in Madagascar. <laughs> yeah, a very sad situation in Madagascar where um, drought is leading to um, a major warning around a famine. So the WFP, uh, that's the World Fo- Food Programme, uh, were out there on a, um, uh, just, just out there to, to sort of assess the situation. And they're basically saying that there's a population of 23 million in that country and they're saying that there's about 400,000 who are on the way to starvation, right, if money doesn't come in. So they're looking for... Where is Madagascar? I'm trying to picture it. It's uh, off the coast of... Yes, off the east coast of... It's the island off the east coast of Africa. Africa. Yeah, the big one there with with the lovely weird looking trees and that kind of thing. As I said, I only know the cartoon. But but you you say the population... like about 23 million, yeah much bigger than I thought yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a big place, actually. all right. Yeah, yeah, it is a big place. Um, but in, in, in this particular part of Madagascar, I think in the south, um, there's been terrible drought and uh, they're just not dealing with it. And I suppose what's different about this, you know, as opposed to famine in Yemen or other places or or the impending one in, in um, Tigray in, in Ethiopia, uh, is that this is not caused by war. This is just climate change and no water and poverty. 
and these guys have had no influence on climate change you know what I mean yeah, it's not like it. these guys are pumping loads of coal into the atmosphere etc etc uh, but uh, they're the ones who are, who are suffering uh, because of it you know and so what what are they asking for what are they looking so they're, for they're looking for approximately 155 million dollars okay and they need it fairly soon and, and they want that to provide food and water and, and to prevent a major famine from breaking out they say that there's 14,000 people at the moment who are on the verge of you know absolute starvation and dying and this easily by the middle of August there'll be 500,000 who will be uh, who will be in dire straits it's mad isn't it when you bring these stories into us and like why that's not making the news, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not it's not sexy and it's not yeah. tweetable, but like it's a very serious issue. Yeah, it w- it will when um well when fifteen thousand when when die. the pictures are dramatic enough. That's the reality of it. I think to be it's honest so with sad. you, yeah, you know. So Ye- Yemen hardly has been going on for what two or three years now. Mm-hmm. That hardly ever makes the news. That's on news night maybe once a month, and they do great work on on the BBC and they do great work. But besides that, nobody nobody cares. And and the well, it's not that nobody cares. But it's just not been covered. Money's gone out of it as well. To be honest with you, there's not as much money to invest in this kind of uh, in this kind of journalism as well. It's so sad. Yeah. Tell us about Nigeria. Yes, Nigeria. We're going to end with Nigeria. Um, the great team uh, known as the Super Eagles who would have, only for Roberto Baggio, they probably would have got to at least the semi-finals of the, the, the 1994 World Cup. But they were they were big in Africa anyway. And they won the 1994 Africa Cup of Nations, right? And as a kind of a bonus uh, for winning that, they were promised houses, okay, for right. winning that. The government at the time said you can have a house anywhere in the country you, you choose. But they never got them, or at least not all of them did. There were six members of the squad and three members of the technical crew, crew uh, including the manager and the assistant manager, they got their houses years ago. But the rest of them uh, didn't. And since then, about three of the team have actually died. So the, the 27 years on, these guys are, are eventually going to pick up their houses and, and lucky for them in, in this current market uh, that they're getting it for free. That, well, it's good to finish on a good news story. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. What have you got coming up for us the rest of the week? Yeah, so a few things coming up. Coming up, I suppose, on uh, Friday, uh, politically, uh, Boris Johnson and Angela Merkel uh, will be meeting each other. I think that's happening in London. I'd say Angela is, is really looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, they're going to discuss things around the the curse word that is Brexit and uh, all those other things. She's nearly getting ready to leave, isn't she? She is. Yeah, yeah. She's on her way. Yeah, I, I thought she was going to be gone already. Ready, but I, I don't know. Maybe some sort of an extension. But um, yeah, she is. She's on her. She's on her way to on her way to finishing. Um, then on Friday, there's been an awful lot of talk around UFOs lately. Uh, yeah, we were talking about on the show that. yesterday. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. I, mi- I missed that particular part, but uh, good to know. Uh, so World UFO Day is on Friday. Yeah. And then on Sunday, of course, it's the Fourth of July, which is a big celebration in the United big States. Big celebration so for us all. Thank you so much, Jonathan. No problem. That was Jonathan DeBurka Butler there telling us what's going on around the world. Now, coming up after the break, why South Africa is considering letting women have multiple husbands. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.